One of the things about this scriptures that, that we're going to talk about, usually I teach this on the importance of fasting, but as I was thinking about my story this week of turkey hunting, uh, uh, and, and I began to think, what are some of the things that the devil does or uses to entice us as individuals? And we're going to see Jesus being tempted here. Now keep in mind, in Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is basically comes on the scene to John the Baptist, and Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, and then the Holy Spirit comes on Jesus, and he said, this is my beloved son. Actually, yeah, I think it's that part. But anyways, the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus during the Matthew chapter 3. And so that's what I want to help set the scene tonight in verse 1. So when you're there, say, I'm there. All right, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So we're not very far into it, but I want to stop and I want to look at two things in this, this story. Are you being led by the Spirit in your own life? Are you being led by the Spirit? And sometimes when it comes to being led by the Spirit, I feel more like my dog when I take him on a walk. I don't know about you guys, I got a 90-pound Belgian Malinois, and when I take him on a walk on occasion, what happens is I have him on the leash. And he'll want to pee on everything, he'll want to smell everything, and he wants to go every which way. And sometimes, I feel like in my own life, God is like, I'm like the dog and God's like walking me. And I'm trying to go here and I'm trying to go here, over there. And, and instead of going in the direction that God wants me to go, I'm going every which way. And what happens is what I do with my dog, sometimes what I'll do is I'll drop the leash. Now, I don't know about you guys, that doesn't mean anything. But to my dog, when I do that, he goes... Because he knows if he starts going off somewhere, I stomp on the leash and it jerks his neck back and he doesn't like that. Because I need him to go in the direction that we're going in unison. And that is what God desires for our own life, to go in unison with him. And notice this, notice this. Notice if Jesus faced temptation, temptation so will you. It's not a matter if, but when. How we respond to that temptation is up to us. And fortunately for us, Jesus didn't succumb to the temptations that we're about ready to see here in the scripture. And James chapter 1 verse 13 tells us this, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. And after desire has conceived, so you just think of childbirth. So after these desires have conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is full grown, gives birth to death. And that's a powerful scripture to think about it. We always think, well, somebody made me do it. No, it started with something small. It started something small in our lives that we allowed to be there. And notice this, the Holy Spirit doesn't tempt anyone, but he led Jesus to be tempted or a time of testing a time of testing is another good way to describe it and this past week as I was thinking about this in my own life and noticing even though there were certain temptations in it there was not sin if I'm not careful they could lead to sin and I and I begin to examine myself this past week like what in my life am I allowing in it that could potentially lead to sin. Yes, right now it may not be costing me anything, but what if I don't nip it in the butt before it starts? And I said butt on stage. But if I don't nip it in the butt before it starts, no telling where it can lead me. 
And sometimes when we're at our weakest, Satan will try to attack us. And what Satan didn't realize that just because Jesus was fasting, just because Jesus was physically weak, he was spiritually strong in his walk with the Lord. And that's where he made the mistake on this, uh, this scripture. And so notice that Satan questions also too, and I missed the scripture that I kind of bypassed, but verse 2 says this, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. So I heard Pastor Stephen Furtick say this a week week ago, this is the most obvious scripture in all the Bible. Fasting 40 days, 40 nights, he was hungry. (laughs) Like everybody says, amen, I'm hungry after that. And it says, the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God. So this goes back to my point here um, here in a second. Notice Satan came to him when he was physically weak. And sometimes when we are weakest, Satan will try to attack us. You know, when we hunt to, you know, you think of coyotes. Coyotes are the one things that we try to kill but we can't ever kill because they're so elusive and we stink at killing them. But they want to attack the young. They want to attack the weak. They want to get them isolated. But here's what Satan didn't understand, like I said, is that Jesus may have been physically weak, but he was spiritually strong. And then notice this, the second part of this is Satan questions Jesus' identity, where he says, and the temper, temper said to him, if you are the son of God, you know, my last name is Weaver. So except for in this church, you know that whose I belong to, because there's so many weavers. Everybody always thinks we're all together. We're different weavers in this church. But Satan is attacking who he is as an individual. And let's take a step further. Maybe you ask yourself sometimes, am I really a Christian? Am I really saved? Am I really a child of God? Am I really a follower of Christ? And, we've, and Satan begins to attack, you're not really saved. Look at you, you're still messing up. You're still doing things wrong. And he begins to attack our identity. And going on in the verse, it says, Command these stones to become loaves of bread. So I got three points tonight of temptations that Satan uses. And the first one is this, physical. He attacked, or he realized Jesus' physical needs. You haven't eaten for 40 days? You need to eat some food. Take care of that. People need food to live. You know, we all talk about for the love of money is the root of all evil and how money is bad and how it changes lives. But I can tell you this, create a famine in the world and you'll begin to figure out real quick what people value and what's really most important. It ain't going to be the dollar bill. It's going to be people fighting over food. It's going to be people fighting over there for the very necessities of life. So Satan was questioning his, his physical needs. Or maybe you can take it a little further. Maybe people have emotional needs, friendships, relationships. Even the most introverted people in our culture and our society today need relationships in some way, shape, or form. Maybe it's sexual desire. Satan uses these things to entice us, to draw us in. Just like that turkey. He thought I was a female turkey. And he, I wasn't. I was, a, I was full of lead. I had a bunch of lead come towards him. But the thing about it is he broke the very natural law of nature by coming to the female instead of the female coming to him, and it cost him his life. Going on, verse 4 says, But he answered, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Have you ever asked yourself, how much do I desire to hear from God? Simple thing is this. One of the things that, we find, that I've found over the years, in Christianity, it's not the major, big, difficult things that help us grow in our walk the most. It's really the little things. If you think about it, like if I'm wanting to develop in my walk with Christ, one, I spend time in His Word. 
If I want to know his voice, if I want to know God's voice, I listen to what he has to say through his word that he's spoken through the Holy Spirit over the years. Second thing is this, spending time in prayer. Simple thing. You know, we see Jesus would constantly in the Bible get alone with the Father. He would constantly get alone, and he would just begin to spend time with him. He would spend nights. He would spend days. He would spend all these different hours spending time praying. You know, recently I've been reading a book, um, and it's called Pastor and Prayer by E.M. Bounds. And it's not really an earth-shattering book as far as anything that I have ever really known. But as I was reading this book, one of the things that he talks about is a pastor who is powerful in the pulpit is somebody who's powerful in the prayer closet. Someone who's powerful in his prayer time. And as, and as he began to talk about it, they began, just began to talk about this individual. I Honestly, I don't know if Ian Bounds read it. Some guy wrote it for Ian Bounds or whatever it may be. But he just began to talk about how this guy would pray and he would just begin to saturate. And he wasn't really that great of a speaker. He wasn't really that powerful. But he, his prayer life was so anointed that it would basically translate into his messages. Another thing that we see um, is are you surrounding yourself with good fellowship, good godly community? Those are the things that can help us strength and people in our walks with Christ. And not only that, are you having good accountability partners? You know, this past week, one of the life groups that I'm a part of, we, t- we had a group where the guy asked everybody to have something that they're striving for and just keep each other accountable. And one of the things that I've been doing with another guy is just, hey, man, you spending time with the Lord at night. Hey, man, you spending time with the Lord at night. You know, just simply asking simple questions like that. Hey, are you growing? Are you wanting to? Now, at the end of the day, I can't make somebody grow, and you guys can't make me grow in my walk with Christ. That's something that you want to have to do on your own. But sometimes having that accountability partner is helpful and beneficial to your walk. Verse 5 says this, Then the devil took him to the holy city. And set him on the pinnacle of the temple. I don't know if you guys, I've read this scripture before. But I've never really envisioned like the devil taking him and setting him on the pinnacle. Like I've never thought of that. I don't know if you guys have ever read that. But I was reading this week. I've taught on this scripture before. But it says, I'll read it again. The devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. Hopefully Jesus wasn't afraid of heights. Because I feel like that would be pretty high up. Setting on the pinnacle of the temple. Verse 6 says, and he said to him, if you are the Son of God. So here we him asking, who are you really the Son of God? If, if you are the Son of God. Notice this, the devil knows who he is. Throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. How many of you guys would say, man, I wish I never had to stub my toe again. Like I just, I'm just claiming, I'm claiming the God's word. I don't want, I don't want to strike my foot on a stone anymore. And Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. The second temptation that we talked about is testing God. The devil is actually quoting Psalms 91, 11 through 12 here. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. But the thing about it is Jesus wasn't falling for this one. The only, the only time in the Bible that God gives us permission to test him and that I found, and there may be another one, but I think this is the only one, is through tithing. That's the only time I see in Scripture where God says, test me. And Jesus says, no, 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 Satan, you don't understand. You don't put the Lord to God to your test. You don't test him. 
and he puts him in check. And so you would think that would be it, but Satan's not done. And as I was thinking about this, do you realize that the devil knows God's word? He was just quoting Psalms 91, 11 through 12. And the question is, how well do you know the word? That's the one of the weapons that Jesus is, uses in this story. And verse 8 says this, Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. The devil's just taking him everywhere. He's getting free transportation. And he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. The third temptation is, what will you worship? What in your life will you worship? Satan offered Jesus not just a few things. He offered him everything. Except he just had to worship him. If you just bow down to me, I'll give you these kingdoms. I'll give you the world. I'll give you everything. Just worship me. And in our lives, when we think about what do we worship? What in our lives do we worship more than the Father? Verse 10 tells us this, Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan. Eli, I don't know where you are if you want to come play the keys. And then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Notice this. Jesus put up with Satan for a little bit. But eventually he's like, No, we're done here. No, we're done. And too often we entertain the things of the devil longer than we should when we entertain sin too long we eventually fall prey to it notice like we talked about earlier satan knows the word of god but so does jesus and going back to the what i was talking about earlier what in your life are you entertaining that shouldn't be there you know i've been examining my own life and today and just be really thinking about it and i normally um, what you guys got to find is when, when I come up here and I prepare or when Paul prepares these sermons, I'm assuming he's the same thing. People don't realize that we're preaching to ourselves just as much as we are anybody else. That's why I like teaching and I like being able to preach is because when I prepare a lesson or a sermon or whatever you want to call it, uh, this is a sermon, but when, when I prepare a sermon, like I begin to grow. I begin to develop. I begin to get God's word in me. I begin to hear what God is trying to say more. And I begin to say, God, what in my life do I need to stop entertaining? And so just as a little self-reflection, begin to ask yourself, what have I been entertaining that doesn't need to be there? It may be small, but guess what? Just me hitting my mouth calling that turkey in the very beginning was something small. He didn't have to turn around. He was going the opposite direction. He was doing turkey things. He was eating caterpillars and bugs. But then he turned around. And as he began to get closer, as he began to get closer and closer, it cost him everything. And I don't want that to happen to me. I don't want that to happen to Brother Eli. I don't want that to happen to anybody in this place. I don't want it to cost us everything. What if we could have just laid it all down at the very beginning? Verse 11 says this, Then the devil left him. Notice that he obeyed. See, Satan was trying to tempt Jesus, but when Jesus said enough is enough, he left him. And behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. What, don't you think that had been quite the sight to see? 
angels coming and ministering to him. I don't even know what that really would look like. But I, I can just imagine this scene. And what we're not going to get into is we're not going to get into the fact that after this, Jesus begins his ministry. He begins to preach. He begins to teach. So in closing, simply this, how do we resist the devil? And here in a second, I want you to read a couple. I want to read a couple of scriptures that might give you a different perspective than normal. There are obviously things that we can do in our own lives that can help strengthen our walk with Christ. We've mentioned these already, you know, reading your Bible, spending time in prayer, having good fellowship, having good relationship with believers. But this past week, I got to go to the Stronger Men's Conference. And one of the pastors there, he recently just came out with a book. And as I was, he, as he was preaching, I just began to think about, um, you know, God's grace in our lives. And as I was preparing for this sermon, I read, I was thinking of Titus 2, 11 through 12. Because we always think about, uh, you know, when, for me to be a successful Christian, I got to do A, B, C, D. Because that's how I am. Like, I'm just like, it's simple. You do this, 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 and you'll be good to go. Like, you do these things. And I realize not everybody's in the same personality type that I am or whatever it may be. But Titus 2, 11 through 12 says this, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Verse 12 says, now God's grace, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So God's grace is teaching us as individuals to live a godly life and to say no to worldly passions. And, and as I begin to think about that, and I begin to think about the attacks of the devil, and one of the things that, that he began to talk about is a lot of times we think that we're the ones carrying the burden all the time to be good enough. But God's grace is what's teaching us to live a godly life. So in reality, God does about 99% of the work and we do about 1% of the work. But to us, it feels like we're doing the whole 99%. But God's grace is teaching us. God's grace is helping us. It's ushering us to this time. And what we, let me give you an example. Before you were a Christian, you were dead into your sin. You couldn't do anything about it. I'm just going where my sin takes me. I'm just going over here. I've, my sin's over here. So you, you were dead to your sin. You were dead in your trespasses. But when you received the Lord Jesus Christ, you all of a sudden had an ability, a, 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 an opportunity. You had this ability in my own life to be able to live a life seeking, pursuing God. I can't tell you how many people have said this. Blake, I, you know when you're in high school, I would have never imagined you'd been preaching one day. Because of the grace of God, because of the mercy of God, came upon my life. And it began to teach me how to live a life after Him. Not that I'm perfect. Follow me around for a day. You'll find out I, I mess up a lot. But that God's grace is teaching us. And it's more than just checklist God, checklist read my Bible, checklist prayed, checklist had fellowship. And I'm not negating that because sometimes we do things that we don't like to do, but they're still good for us. But understanding that you're not doing this by your power or by your might, but by God's grace and God's mercy. And when we begin to spend time with the Father, we can't help be, but become 
the person that we're spending time with. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, I just pray that you just begin to lay. God, I just pray that you begin to move in our hearts and our lives. Lord, I just pray that you begin to speak to each and every individual in this place. Lord, we just desire more of you. We desire more of your word. God, we just pray that if there's anybody in this place that's questioning, God, am I good enough? God, am I really saved? God, am I really after your heart? Let them begin to understand, Father God, that it's not by our works that anyone should boast, but it's by your power, Father. That your word says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and all things have become new. That therefore, when we follow you, we pursue you, Father God, you begin to make us a new creation in Jesus Christ. God, we just desire more of you. God, we desire a healthy aspect of you to understand your word, understand who you are in such a powerful way. Lord, that I ask that each and every individual in this place, Lord, I just pray that you just begin to pour your blessing upon them, Lord. I pray that you begin to, in this room, that you'd begin to give us a desire to read your word. God, a desire to seek you in prayer, a desire for fellowship, Lord. God, I just pray that you just begin to pour your spirit upon these people in this place and that you just begin to embrace us and let us know, Father, what it truly means to seek you and pursue you, but understand that it's your by your spirit and by your power that we have the ability to pursue and seek you at the same time. God, we just want to lay it all down. God, we want to lay it all down at your feet. God, we just praise you, Father.